This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hello, you guys, and welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. This is actually the last episode before Halloween starts next week. Now, starting next week, we are going to have five back-to-back crazy cases for you guys. So get ready, get excited, and make sure that you are subscribed on whatever platform you listen to Killer Instinct on. That way, you will be notified on every new episode that we post. It's made me really excited to see all of you guys asking if we are doing Halloween still this year because that means that you are just as excited about it as I am. We did Halloween last year as well and we're going to do it again this year so hopefully we can continue on this tradition next year as well and keep it going. It's so fun. Halloween is my favorite time of year and the cases that we have for you are absolutely insane. I've been holding on to them for so long, so I cannot wait to share with them with you. Before we jump into it today, I want to go back and take a second and look at some of the comments that you guys had from last week's case that we covered. If you have not heard that episode yet, I highly recommend it. It is a wild and crazy one. We talked about Sheila Labar. Now, Sheila Labar is a presumed serial killer, and there were a couple interesting comments that you guys had on this case that I wanted to share with you. So if you haven't heard that episode yet, you can pause this right now, go back and listen to it, and then come back to this, or you can just skip through this part, listen to this week's episode, and then go back and listen to the Sheila Labar episode later. So one of you made a really interesting comment that was in reference to Kenny being at the Walmart a couple days after he was seen at Sheila's house when he was in the wheelchair. And if you watched my YouTube video on this case, you saw the picture of him in the Walmart. It was a really crazy thing that this picture was even taken, but there was a picture of him being taken in the Walmart with the gas tanks on the wheelchair. And someone commented saying, quote, Kenny tried to talk to the police that night at Walmart, but unfortunately, he wasn't able to from being poisoned with cigarettes and water. I used to live in the area and know people that saw him that night. The police wanted her to leave quickly before she started causing a scene, end quote. Again, I think that just based off of the picture, Kenny obviously does not look well in that picture. So it does not surprise me that if he was poisoned by cigarettes and water, 
that does make sense. And maybe he was just afraid to talk to the police that night or didn't want Sheila to cause a scene either, or just didn't want to face the repercussions of Sheila when they got home. Remember, Kenny was very vulnerable. He had a developmental disorder that caused him to have the IQ of a 12-year-old. So he was extremely vulnerable and he could have just not been able to fully process what was going on and as we would be able to process it and as we would be able to, you know, take that and either talk to the police or not, he probably didn't have that mindset going into it. Another comment comes from someone who said, quote, why did they not arrest her immediately upon finding human flesh and bones when they visited? How does that make sense? Why would you need a search warrant when there is evidence sitting right in front of you? End quote. Now this I understand completely. It makes total sense to me because I had that same thought because you would think you have the evidence sitting right in front of you. Why do you need a search warrant? It's literally human flesh and bones. However, I don't think that the authorities at that point knew that it was human bones. However, I'm not sure really the specifics as to what would be able to constitute arresting her on her property at that point. I'm not educated enough on that front to make that statement. However, what I will say is when doing my research, they did have to send the bones off to a lab in order to prove that they were in fact human remains and not possibly like animal remains or something like that. So to my understanding, that was why they didn't arrest her immediately right when they saw that. All right, so those were the two comments that I just wanted to read from last week's case. Thank you guys so much for sending those in. And with that being said, let's move on to the rest of today's case. So we have a crazy one today. Today we are talking about the murder of Bobby Joe Stinnett and what ended up happening that led to a woman named Lisa Montgomery being put on death row and she will actually be the first female federal inmate to be executed in almost 70 years. I know the past two episodes that we covered, and now this one as well, they all have a common theme, and that theme is female offenders. I personally find female offenders to be extremely interesting because it's not something you hear of all the time. When covering these cases, the likelihood that the killer is female is typically very slim, so whenever I find a case that has a female offender, it just fascinates me. I do want to put a quick disclaimer on this case and say that we are going to be mentioning things like miscarriages and losing a child, so if any of those things are triggering to you, then this might not be the case for you, and that is completely fine. I will see you next week. And some of you might be familiar with this case already because it has been in the media more so recently. Earlier this week, there were multiple news articles on it, so some of you might have already heard of it because it was recently brought to light again. However, if you are not, which I was not, let's jump right on into it. So to understand what happened to Bobby Joe, we need to take a look at who Lisa Montgomery is. Lisa Montgomery is a woman who was born on February 27, 1968, and was living in Melbourne, Kansas. Melbourne is a small city with a population of 455 people, and it is located in Osage County. 
Now, growing up, Lisa didn't have the best childhood. She had a very rough upbringing. She is said to have grown up in a chaotic household where she was raped by her stepfather for years. When she was 14 years old, her mother ended up finding out about the abuse that Lisa was enduring. However, decided that the most appropriate way to respond to this was by threatening Lisa and putting a gun to her head. Now, there were also allegations that Lisa was sex trafficked by her own mother and gang raped. Now, Lisa got married to her first husband at 18 years old as an attempt to get away from her home life situation. However, this marriage did not last. And then shortly after this, she married her second husband, who is a man named Kevin, and she married him in the year 2000. Now, Lisa did end up having four children in her first marriage, and then in 1990, which was 10 years prior to when she got married to Kevin, she ended up having her tubes tied, which if you don't know, is a procedure that is considered basically a permanent method of birth control for women. It's basically the medical way of preventing pregnancies. However, even after this procedure, Lisa would still go on and tell people that she was pregnant, which was just simply not true. But we will dive a little deeper into that in a minute. So this case takes place in 2004. And during this time, Lisa had joined a chat room called Ratter Chatter. Now this chat room was a rat terrier chat room. And for those who don't know, because I was also unaware, a rat terrier is a dog breed. And along with Lisa in this chat room was a woman named Bobby Joe Stinnett. Bobby Joe was a 23-year-old woman born on December 4th, 1981, and was living in Skidmore, Missouri. Bobby Joe and her husband Zeb were dog breeders and ran their business out of their home, which was called Happy Heaven Farms. So they bred these rat terrier dogs. And at this time, Bobby Joe was eight months pregnant with her first child. She was expecting a daughter. And she was really, really excited about this new chapter and to become a mother. She was thrilled about it. So that was kind of her situation. She was married, running this dog breeding business out of her home, and was looking forward to starting this new chapter of motherhood. Now, Lisa and Bobby Joe bonded very quickly on this chat room, and that was partially due to the fact that they bonded over both of them being pregnant. So they talked on the chat room and in personal emails all about their pregnancies and the similarities, and they really just bonded over this. However, the problem here is, is that Lisa was never actually pregnant during this time. Like I said, Lisa got her tubes tied in 1990, so she couldn't be pregnant. And along with that, Lisa's ex-husband came forward and said that she did have a history of telling people that she was pregnant when she, in fact, was not. She had told Bobby Joe that she was also in her third trimester, so she was nearing the end of her pregnancy. And this is a lie that she ran with, not just to Bobby Joe, but to her friends and family members as well. Now, if pretending to be pregnant wasn't bad enough, Bobby Joe really had no idea who she was talking to in this chat room, because instead of using her real name, Lisa Montgomery, Lisa created an alias and went by the name Darlene Fisher. 
Now, after talking in this chat room for some time, Lisa had told Bobby Joe that she wanted to buy one of her rat terrier dogs from her and that she would drive to her house to pick the dog up. Now, Bobby Joe ran her business, like I said, out of her home, so meeting at her house was not alarming. And Bobby Joe didn't really feel threatened by the situation. In Bobby Joe's mind, she was talking to another pregnant woman who was coming to pick up one of her dogs. So how much danger could she possibly be in? So on December 16th, 2004, Lisa ended up driving to Skidmore, Missouri, and she arrived at Bobby Joe's home with a neon leash for the dog that she knew she was not there to get. Now, Bobby Joe's husband was not home at the time, so it was just Bobby Joe and Lisa, and because the two of them were the only ones that were in the house, we're not sure of all of the details. However, what we do know is that at one point, Lisa took a rope that she had brought with her and used it to strangle Bobby Joe from behind. So she snuck up behind her and used a rope to strangle her until she was unconscious. Once she reached a point of unconsciousness, Lisa then laid Bobby Joe on the floor of the kitchen, grabbed a kitchen knife, and used it to cut open Bobby Joe's stomach. Now, when this happened, it awoke Bobby Joe out of unconsciousness, and once she woke up, she had tried to fight back. However, ultimately, Lisa then strangled her again until she passed away, and then cut out her baby from her stomach and fled the scene with the baby okay we're gonna take a short break but we will be right back with more of the killer instinct podcast imagine an app designed to make you use it less seems a little counterproductive right well apartments.com's instant alert feature works exactly that way instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let apartments.com do the rest from pet friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit acs apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed so you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one with more rental listings than anywhere else apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. All right, you guys, welcome back. About an hour later, Bobby Joe was discovered by her mother, Becky Harper. Now, according to Becky, she said that she walked in and saw Bobby Joe lying in a pool of blood. Obviously very frantic, she called 911 and described Bobby Joe's injuries as appearing as if, quote, her stomach exploded, end quote. Paramedics had quickly arrived on the scene. However, by that point, it was just too late, and Bobby Joe was pronounced dead at the St. Francis Hospital located in Maryville on December 16th. Now, as far as the investigation process for this case goes, it honestly didn't take police too long to figure out what had happened to Bobby Joe and who was responsible for this heinous and horrific crime. And their biggest question now at this point was what happened to the baby? Was the baby still alive? Those two questions made police really get to work on this investigation because they knew that they were working against the clock if the baby was in fact alive. 
Now, once authorities looked into Bobby Joe's computer, they found the chat room, the Ratter Chatter chat room, and found the messages between Bobby Joe and this Darlene Fisher, and they were able to trace the messages back to Lisa Montgomery. Their investigation was so short that it just took them less than 24 hours, and the following day, on December 17th, authorities arrived to Lisa's farmhouse in Kansas, where she was ultimately arrested. Authorities also found the baby at Lisa's farmhouse as well, because when she answered the door, she was actually holding the baby in her hands. So luckily, to the police's surprise, the baby was alive. Now, Lisa actually tried to pass off this baby as being her own. She tried to convince the authorities that this was her child and that she had nothing to do with Bobby Joe's murder. However, obviously, police knew that this was not the case, so once authorities retrieved the baby, they made sure that everything was okay with her health-wise and then ultimately handed her over to Zeb, her father. Now, when Lisa was arrested, she was arrested and charged with kidnapping resulting in death and was facing life in prison with the possibility of the death penalty. Now, the defense definitely portrayed Lisa as a victim of mental illness who had delusions of being pregnant. However, according to Dr. Park Diets, who was brought in to examine Lisa, he said, quote, It is in my opinion, within a reasonable medical certainty, that at the time of the charged homicide and kidnapping, the defendant did not suffer from a serious mental disease or defect, end quote. He also went on to say that Lisa did not have a mental disorder that caused her to believe that she was pregnant in 2004. But Lisa, like I said, ran with this lie that she was pregnant. She told Bobby Joe, she told her friends and family, and she even convinced her husband, Kevin, that she was pregnant. Lisa had gone as far as printing out an ultrasound picture and put her name on the picture and showed it to her family to prove that she was pregnant. Now, to this, Dr. Diets said, quote, the ultrasound is one of the most important smoking guns to show that this defendant knew she wasn't pregnant in 2004, end quote. So, he's basically saying here that if Lisa went as far as to print out an ultrasound picture to fake an ultrasound picture, she knew in her mind that she was not pregnant. So, this whole thing that it was a mental illness that caused her to believe that she was pregnant is not applicable in this case because her actions proved that she was aware that that was not the case. Now, Lisa was also given a test to measure whether or not she was a psychopath, which the results showed that she scored as not a psychopath. However, she did show signs in the test of being manipulative, a pathological liar, someone who lacked remorse, was irresponsible, failed to accept responsibility, and exhibited promiscuous sexual behavior. Her IQ did score extremely high. It was in the superior range, and so she's extremely smart. She's a very, very, very smart woman. So smart that she came up with this elaborate lie, and it was discovered during the trial that she had told her friends and family, as well as Bobby Joe, that with this fake pregnancy, her due date was December 13th. Now, remember, she went to Bobby Joe's house on December 
16th. So just three days following her presumed fake due date. Now, while the due date was approaching, Lisa began doing internet searches, not only about Bobby Joe, but also about all different types of childbirth. Now, the defense argued that this showed that Lisa believed that she was pregnant at the time. However, the prosecution used this as proof of premeditation. The defense is saying that because she's looking up childbirth, it means that she thought that she was pregnant in her own head. However, the prosecution is now saying that that's not what happened at all, and she's looking up different ways of childbirth for the crime that she ended up committing, which was cutting the baby out of Bobby Joe's stomach. Lisa also told investigators that she brought a knife, rope, and an umbilical cord clamp with her to Bobby Joe's home and said that she was, quote, leaving the home when something out of character happened and then this took place, end quote. Now, what is so insane is that before Lisa's arrest on December 17th, that same day, just a couple hours prior to her being arrested, both Lisa and her husband, Kevin, had gone around the town of Melvern showing off the baby to people in the town saying that it was their own. Now let's talk about Kevin for a second, because according to Kevin, he said that Lisa had lied to him on three separate occasions in the past before this, telling him that she was pregnant during the years of 2001 and 2004. He said that he believed her because her stomach was getting bigger and she did show other symptoms of pregnancy. Now, this is kind of where everything ties together. So, like we mentioned, Lisa got her tubes tied in 1990, and then she got married to Kevin 10 years later in 2000. Now, when Kevin and Lisa got together, Kevin was unaware of the procedure that Lisa had gone under. So, that is why he believed her the multiple times she'd lied to him about being pregnant. Now, one of Lisa's sisters, whose name is Patty, had actually been the one to tell Kevin that it was impossible for Lisa to be pregnant and to have kids and that she was just flat out lying to him. However, he didn't want to believe it. Now, knowing that, it does make you wonder what Kevin's thoughts were when Lisa came home with a newborn baby one day. And according to him, he had an explanation for this. And he said that Lisa told him that she had gone into labor while on a shopping trip and had him pick her up near a Topeka health center. So basically, she was out shopping one day and had a baby and had Kevin pick her up from the hospital after she had the kid. Now, Kevin swears that he had absolutely nothing to do with Bobby Joe's murder. He had no idea about it. He was completely unaware of it. However, he does say that he stands by his wife. So that's kind of a question that I have for you guys is, do you think that Kevin knew? Do you think Kevin was really that unaware of what was happening and unaware of the situation and just believed his wife the entire time? Why wasn't he going to ultrasound appointments with her? Why wasn't he going to all of the doctor stuff and all of the, just the things that you do? Like, why did he not think that that was what was happening, I guess, is my question to you guys. Why do you think that? Do you think it's because he knew about it? Or do you think it's just because he was really 
that oblivious to the entire situation. So you guys can let me know what you think on that. So on October 22nd, 2007, so three years after the murder, the jury ended up finding Lisa guilty. And four days later, on October 26th, the jury recommended the death penalty and Lisa Montgomery was sentenced to death. Now, in the beginning, I said that Lisa's case has recently been brought back into the light again, and that is because her execution date has been set. It has been set to this year on December 8th, 2020. On that day, Lisa Montgomery will be executed by lethal injection at the U.S. Penitentiary in Indiana. Lisa will be the fourth woman executed by the U.S. federal government. The three others before her were Mary Surratt, who in 1865 was arrested and sentenced to death for planning to assassinate President Abraham Lincoln, and she was executed by hanging. And then in 1953, Ethel Rosenberg was executed by the electric chair for spying on behalf of the Soviet Union. Her and her partner, Julius, were accused of leaking top-secret information about the United States. So they were both executed for that. And then the third, who is Bonnie Hetty, in 1953, she was executed via gas chamber for kidnapping and murdering a six-year-old boy whose father was a multimillionaire and asking for the biggest ransom demand in U.S. history. So Lisa is going to be the fourth woman executed by the federal government on December 8th, which is just a little over a month by the time that you guys hear this. It's about a month and a half. Now, interestingly enough, statistically, it is shown that violent crimes that are committed by women are less likely to be considered for the death penalty than the ones committed by men because of the nature of the crimes as well as the public's perception of women in general. Most murders that are committed by women are domestic murders, which are considered acts of passion and therefore are not eligible for the death penalty, and only 2% of inmates on death row are women. So that is just a really interesting fact. When I read that, I thought that that was really insane because it kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning of you rarely see female offenders. And female offenders, when they do commit murders, they're typically considered acts of passion, which is kind of interesting if you look at it in a broader perspective of the public perception of women. And then their murder is more so being considered an act of passion. Therefore, they aren't eligible for death row. So just a very interesting thing to think about and the fact that only 2% of inmates on death row are women is really, really crazy because you know that there are so many other female offenders out there who have been caught and who are in prison who just have not received the death penalty. So what this was, what this entire case was, was Lisa Montgomery wanting to have a baby, not knowing how to get one, and instead of going the normal route, which would be adoption or fostering or something like that, which by the way, I don't think would have been good for her either because she is clearly not in her right mind whatsoever, but instead of doing something like that, she went to the extent of taking something from someone that she couldn't have for herself, and there is a specific twisted type of person that does that. Lisa went to the extent of making up this elaborate lie, and when she didn't know how to keep up with her lies any longer, she went to the extent of driving across state lines and murdering a completely innocent 23-year-old woman who was expecting her first child. It got to a point where Lisa did not know what to do. 
So she found a woman online, targeted her, made up this complete fake story, lured her in, preyed on a vulnerable 23-year-old woman who was probably just looking for someone to relate to who was also pregnant, and then this ends up happening. You know, the defense says that Lisa experienced unimaginable trauma in her life that I'm sure has affected her greatly, and I don't doubt the trauma that she has been through. However, you got to look at all the other people that go through terrible things in their lives and they don't come out to be murderers. There's tons of people. Everyone goes through hardships and trauma and terrible things and saying hardships doesn't even begin to describe what Lisa allegedly went through. However, it doesn't justify the fact that you can grow up and be a killer and a murderer. It just doesn't justify it. So I'm really, really interested to hear what you guys have to say about this case. Let me know. Email me at killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. It's going to be really interesting to follow this one considering her execution date is coming up. And that's why I wanted to talk to you guys about this case today because I want to hear your opinions on it. Good, bad, whether you agree with it, whether you don't. I know that there's a lot of differing opinions on the death penalty, so I would love to just hear yours and have an open conversation and discussion about it. And we will just keep watching this case as it gets closer to December 8th. So with that being said, you guys, that is going to be it for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah. I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here every Wednesday. You're not going to want to miss it. Next week, we start Halloween, and I cannot freaking wait. So with that being said, you guys, I will see you next week. And until then, stay safe.